0: KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is one on one.
1: I could have gone to different programs at, at different points of my coaching career, but when you truly love a place, like, you know, you're, you're gonna say as a oh, it's a family. It's like, it is, like St. Joe's is different. You're in the Philly
0: landscape. It's just a different place. It's special. I always say they just do things right. And our guest this week, Susan Lavin, she is currently the Chief of Staff for the St. Joseph's University women's basketball team, also probably the greatest player in the history of St. Joseph's University and one of the greatest in the history of the Big Five. And Susan, thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Thank you for having me, Matt.
0: So for people who aren't familiar, Chief of Staff, what is the job? What's your day-to-day? And I'm sure every day is different, but what, what does the job entail?
1: Every, every day is a lot different. I would say overall, my job is to make Coach Cindy Griffin's job easier. That's how I like to frame it. So she has a person on staff that she can use for, you know, to keep her in the loop so that she can focus on coaching our team and getting wins on Hawk Hill. That's the main part of the job. But I would say now, you know, having been a coach formerly, my job now is more with our current kids, um, developing them, off the court. That's a big part of what I do. So whether it's career development, um, we do financial development sessions. You know, I work with housing, making sure, you know, we're in the right places. I do a little bit of everything. You know, there's capital projects happening on campus. I'm in those meetings, Um, giving women's basketball a say and a voice, which is really important. So, you know, a little bit of everything. So my days are very different. Uh, They're very busy. Uh, It makes me miss coaching basketball a little less, um, but I definitely enjoy the new role.
0: To that point, you spent a long time as an assistant associate head coach with St. Joe's. Was this something you were looking for, something a little different, or was it something that an opportunity kind of presented itself or the need for this type of position presented itself and it was a good fit for you?
1: Um, It definitely wasn't something I was looking for. I was very happy in my coaching role, uh, then i started to have children and as most coaches will relate to it is a tough task to give all the time that this job requires i mean as i mentioned i i talked to a lot of our kids about career development and and pointing them in the right direction they all want to be a coach cuz it's so glamorous and so, and i'm like well just you know not that i'm not promoting coaching just here's the reality you know got married had a family and now i was gone three nights a week recruiting and then we were on the road and i just felt like i wasn't giving Uh, my family the time that I wanted to. So uh, it was a really tough decision that postseason. So it was three years ago thinking, how do I step away from a place I love, a job I love, um, a game I love, and that I've been doing forever, it seems. How do I step away from that, but knowing that there was a need for me to, from a purely personal basis. And, you know, I talked to Coach Griffin, and then this other opportunity presented itself, like she wanted to fight to keep me around. And You know, there is a need for the for the position as it has developed over time. But initially it was she wanted to keep me around the program and I'm more of a nine to five and I get the best of both worlds, really. And going into it, I wasn't sure how that was going to look. And now that I'm in a more administrative role, I'm actually I love it. I love having my hand in all those things, but I still get my weekends to hang out with my kids and go to five year old birthday parties. So it is a, a great balance.
0: So let's talk about your journey in hoops. What's your earliest basketball memory growing up?
1: Oh, wow. I didn't start playing basketball until I was 12 years old. And people find that hard to believe. I was a tennis player. I used to play a lot of tennis growing up. I actually played with the Irish national team. So that was my sport. That's what I saw myself doing. Somewhere in secondary school, um, it's what we call it in, in Ireland. A lot of our, my tennis friends started playing basketball. And we did it because we got to miss a couple of classes and it was kind of fun. We all got to hang out, go on a bus, play a game. And I just fell in love with it. Probably my earliest memory is not being able to do a left-handed layup. And my coach, Ann Ganley, I remember I just couldn't do it. And it was the first time I went home that night and I just did it and did it and did it and did it and did it. it Because I could not wait to come back the next day and be like, no, I got it. Um, So that's my real first memory of like, wanting it so bad. I'm just literally, I'm talking, go left, right, and make a left-handed layup. I couldn't do it that day at practice. It bothered me. I couldn't do it. I wanted to be able to do it. So I worked all night. My mother was like, what is she doing? And coming back that next day, being able to do it, that proud moment. That's probably one of my earliest memories of loving the game, wanting to work on the game. But yeah, that's where it all started in Tullamore, Ireland at age
0: 12. Was it almost a flip of a switch as far as the focus from tennis to basketball? Like, did you still kind of play tennis or did it just you went all in with basketball and tennis kind of became, oh, yeah, I used to play and maybe once in a while, but basketball's it.
1: That was really tough for me. Also, I think maybe the mindset's a little different at home. So people don't specialize as young. So the fact I was already established as a a national tennis player, I wasn't going to give that up right right away. So I kept playing on the national scene until I was about 16. And that was the point where I'm like, man, I, something's got to give because I was getting so involved, and there just wasn't enough time in the day anymore. Um, so it wasn't a switch. I, I did keep plugging away at the tennis, but you know, I would say the whole time that the love for basketball was was growing. Like the idea of going out and playing a tennis match alone versus going out with my team and competing um, as a team sport, there was no comparison. Like I, I could not wait to get out and, and play basketball. And, at times, I was a little more tentative when I was out playing tennis.
0: As you mentioned, Ireland. You grew up in Ireland. For someone not familiar, how is basketball received in Ireland? Is it one of the more popular sports, or you know, what kind of kind of what lens is it looked at through?
1: You know, I would say it's not one of the more popular sports. It has grown immensely since since I grew up playing basketball. It was minute at the time. Our national sports are Gaelic football, so. You'll have to YouTube that one and hurling camogie, uh, another great sport. So There are national games like that's where you grow up, like the heroes that people have here in American football. But, like we mm-hmm. like play for your county. That's that's a really big deal at home for those sports. I would think rugby um, is another big sport at home. We just won the Six Nations the other day. We're doing pretty good at rugby. So they are some of the bigger ones. Soccer obviously is big. So basketball like falls way down on, on that list. Um, even in regards to participation at schools. And again, it's been building over the years. But yes, when I tell people that basketball was my sport in Ireland, they're like, is that a thing? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I like to think so. In my mind, it was the only thing, you know?
0: So you had all that success in tennis, playing at lofty levels. What made you good at that sport? Like, what was it about your skill set that allowed you to excel in tennis?
1: I was strong. I was, it's so funny because... The joke when I came here for basketball was being a post player, right? I was 5'10", and they're like, wait, from my stats at home being recruited, they thought I was going to be 6'1", and, you know. But I was a big, I was big for Ireland. Like, I was a center in Ireland, you know? Um, So with tennis, I was big, I was strong, and I was big and strong early. I would say I had a mean forehand. It was, like, a great asset and also my demise. I just wanted to hammer every ball that came my way, which did me well, you know, most of the time, my coach, you know, my coach was like, "You gotta like." I just wanted to hit a winner on every shot. So I was, I, I mean, I was always athletic. My dad was a great athlete. I mean, my mom was a good athlete too, but my 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 dad was really good. So you know, I had some athleticism. I moved pretty well, but I definitely liked to hammer the ball in tennis. So that was that was my thing.
0: Now it seems to me that that mentality would serve very well on the court. Kind of a, give me the ball, let's go to work. From fifty thousand feet, I can see why that transition would work.
1: Yeah, it definitely worked. I mean, there was I was definitely get stuck in like, I mean, the joke at home was, you know, grab the ball, if there's a head on it, if there's hair on it, grab it anyways, grab boat, you know, so that was kind of the mentality. And some of it was just that I like being Irish, we're like, we're tough, you know, we're underdogs, we, you know, we're hard workers, We we fight, we're gritty. So that definitely came into play on the basketball court too. Like I had no no fear. And I, I also, I think coming from a non-basketball country, let's say growing up, I had no idea or no expectations. We opened up, my first game ever at St. Joe's was at Tennessee after they had just won the national championship. And I had no idea, Shamika Holtz, I had no idea. I didn't buy, I'm like, who am I guarding? What number is she? Like, didn't matter to me. And I think that really helped me when I first came here. I had no fear. I was just, I love basketball. I wanted to play. You put the ball up, I'm going to go get it.
0: As the pendulum starts to swing towards basketball, were there people that were like, well, what about tennis? You're so good at tennis. Why aren't you pursuing this? You could do X, Y, and Z. You know, I mean, coming from a place of good faith, like, you know, you're really good. Are you sure you want to leave this behind? Was there any of that?
1: Not really. And I think a lot of that maybe came from my house. So like to take the next step in tennis, you go on the tour, you, you leave school and you start on the circuit. And like, that's kind of the next step. I mean, I guess you could come out here in scholarship too, but if you want to, next step for tennis was get out there, get on the tour, start collecting points. Whereas for basketball, scholarships was more the route you you went. So you would come over here, you would study and you would play basketball. So in a house that academics were important, I feel like that leaned me in some ways towards, hey, I can do the best of both. I could actually have this sport that I love and play and play at a high level, um, but also get a degree from college. So, um, it was a really nice marriage of both things, I think, which helped me in that direction.
0: So you're a 17, 18 year old in Ireland. How do you end up on Hawk Hill? What's the journey? What's the process?
1: Well, I think, you know, at the time, a lot of teams were coming over to tour in Ireland. So I would be on the national team at home and they would, you know, they'd always set up a couple of games. So I started getting some exposure unbeknownst to myself. I didn't, I didn't know about recruiting or any of that stuff. So coaches start to see me play because they would play against me. And then I would get a letter or maybe a media guide because people actually sent media guides back then. I remember my first, the first media I got was from Iowa state and I actually cried. I'm like, I looked at this. I couldn't believe stadiums like this existed, you know, the back cover, they had the picture of the state. I'm like, I could play there. So that was kind of the process. And I think, you know, as things go over here, someone hears and another person hears and then you get a little more interest. So Yeah. People started writing. There were connections like Dan Durkin. I'm sure you're familiar with. He was from this area. He coached at Duquesne for a long time, but he had lived in Ireland, married an Irish woman. So like he had a connect, you know, so he was someone who would write to me and call me. Um, So there was just, yeah, there was an Irish connection. There was them seeing me play. um, And then there was a little bit of word of mouth, but it wasn't like I got highly recruited or anything. Side note. Um, I came down to, I eventually decided I would, wanted to go to the East coast. I actually wanted to go to the West coast but my coach from high school said, no one will visit you. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that's a very fair point. Like I had watched a lot of Save by the Bell growing up. And I thought, oh, Who hadn't? West. Yeah, I'll go out west. I'm gonna meet someone like Zach. I'll surf. Like, this is this is what I'll do. This is my American dream. And she was like, Yeah, it's a really bad idea. And I was like, you know what? Thank you. You are right. So, and as opposed to an Iowa, I decided if I'm gonna go to America for a year, because that was really the plan, I'll come for one year have the experience and then go home. So I deferred my place in college at home just for a year. I was like, I'm going to go to a big city. So I looked at a school in Boston, a school in New York and a school in Philly. So, and the the school I looked at in Boston was Stonehill. So it was D2. I looked at Fordham in New York and I looked at St. Joe's and I decided if I'm going to come here, I may as well go D1. And if I'm not good enough, I could drop down to D2. So that was kind of the right, this is my (laughs) recruiting rationale, literally. I went to Fordham and as much as I wanted to be near a big American city, like Fordham was just a little too in the city. It was a Mm -hmm. little overwhelming. And then I came to St. Joe's and it had, I was in this beautiful campus. There were trees and birds and squirrels running around, but I could hop on a train and be in the city in 10 minutes. Um, So kind of married logistically, location-wise, what I was looking for. And that that was my decision. It was, you know, really well thought out.
0: (laughs) I'm curious, you talk about the rationale of the cities. There are a lot of colleges in Philadelphia. When you're looking from the outside, why was St. Joe's the one at the top of the list of, you know, the six division one, multiple division twos within 10 minutes, you know?
1: Yeah, I would say none of the other ones recruited me would be
0: one reason. So they had they had made contact with you. So
1: They had made contact, and they had an assistant coach. Reggie Grennan was her name. Her Both her parents were from Ireland. Okay. So there was an actual comfortability and an Irish connection, which probably tipped it over the edge.
0: Had you been to the States before, before you came over for college? No.
1: I, my recruiting visits, they, that was the first time I had come to the States.
0: What is, let's put basketball to the side... What is life like coming to a foreign country and setting up shop, even if, you know, at first you think it's only going to be for a year? Was it difficult? Was it fun? Was it scary?
1: Um, It was a mix of all of the above. I think the excitement of the experience trumped everything. So it's funny, I, I joke later on in life, like I wasn't particularly homesick when I came here and not because I don't love my family dearly but like I was in America, I was doing this thing. I was playing basketball. Like I thought I was really cool back then. Um, It wasn't until like I graduated and things weren't as busy. And I started feeling like, man, I really miss home and my Irish people. And I started joining Gaelic football teams over here, you know? So it was, I was so busy and so into what I was doing and excited that that really was the overwhelming feeling. Then other overwhelming feelings were just being lost like going into a grocery store and not recognizing a toothpaste brand or where's the barry's tea like where are all the biscuits i know there was like just certain like cultural things that were were very different i mean i remember just looking at the cars over here and my mind was blown like everything was big that was the overwhelming part of the change like i'd order go to order breakfast and i'd want you know bacon and eggs and it was like, well, how do you want your eggs? Over easy, over hard? So I said, I'm like, just an egg. Can you? Can I just have it? You know, the, the choices, the selection. It was, everything was just big, um, and sometimes that was overwhelming, and sometimes again that was just exciting. Everything was so new.
0: We need to take a break. We will have more with St. Joseph's University women's basketball chief of staff and former Hawk star Susan Lavin right after this. This is One on One. And we are back on one-on-one, continuing our conversation with St. Joseph's University, Susan Lavin. So let's talk now basketball. I think you were A-10 and Big Five Rookie of the Year. So on paper, it would appear the transition was pretty seamless from not only a different country, but going from high school to college basketball. Did it feel like that? Like you talked about that first game with Tennessee where you don't have the context of what the Tennessee program is and who you're playing and stuff. But did it just feel like the next logical step as far as competition, or was there a little bit of a, okay, this is fast, I can do it, but we're going to have to get used to this.
1: Um, No, I, I feel like it was the next logical step. I was always a, a pretty physical player. I think that's sometimes what people struggle with, not even like international players, but just, you know, I've been in the college game, high school people coming College, you know, the physical part of it people struggle with, but again, I, you know, the type of game we played at home was a physical, like, I don't know if they called any fouls when we played basketball in Ireland, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I I, for me, the, the basketball was always the basketball, that's where I excelled. I didn't think twice about the next level of playing, it was actually the surrounding things, like, I had never lifted a weight before in my life. So, like, I remember calling my mom when we were up in the morning at 6am lifting weights and on the track. Like I, I didn't do track workouts before I got here. Like we used to run around, you know, like you played tennis, you played bat. You didn't have to have extra workout. You were just fit and active. And so for me to be on a track at 6am, like I remember calling her, I mean like, they think I'm on the track team. Like, I don't know what, because preseason was jarring. Yeah. Like the, the preseason, all that stuff. I'm like, man, like I was so sore. I just, yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never done it before. I mean, my high school team practiced two nights a week, three nights, and now I was practicing every day. I'm like, what am I doing? So once the game started, I was like, ah, now this is what I like, you know, that all that other stuff. I don't know. I know I have to do it, but get me in the games and I'm in my happy
0: place. Did you feel like you were really good? Like, because I talk about that, that context of... You know, were you just kind of playing and well, this is how it's supposed to work. But did you kind of realize you were doing much, much more than your average college freshman?
1: I I didn't really think about it, to be honest. I really was just playing. But because with women's basketball comes media or A ten awards, I started getting the Rookie of the Week awards and I was like, Oh, okay, you know. I'm doing pretty good here. Yeah, I I didn't sit and ponder about it too much. You know, I think the fact, like, I was proud that I was starting as a freshman. That's something I didn't want to come all that way and not play. I think that's difficult. It's difficult for anyone, right? And we see it now, like this whole transfer of culture. People come, they don't play. Like you, you know, in general, you have to come and you wait your not wait your time. You earn your time, right? And I earned it early. Like I earned it in the preseason practices and stuff. And that was something I was really proud of that I was starting over here and playing a lot. Like. More than points and accolades, like I wanted to play and I accomplished that. So that was, I guess that was a focus. I wanted to play when I came here and I did from the bat. So that was satisfying.
0: Is there a point freshman year when you start to realize that word is out on you and that teams are defending you differently or you're hearing coaches on the sidelines point to your number and say, like it's very obvious that you have been talked about in practice like was there a recognition that okay i'm at the top of the chalkboard when they start to scout us
1: yeah i mean it was it was twofold so i i I actually do remember you know like hearing those things in the sideline a little bit and and that was i was like yeah oh you think you can Like, like i definitely had that internal like Oh, I'm glad you know but you can't stop it. Like not and not I don't mean that in the cocky or like that would give me when I would hear that stuff that would drive me. I'm like, "All right, good." Now on the flip side of that, all of them knew I couldn't shoot. So, uh, so it was they were like back off of her. Like that's what I would hear more. Like, "Don't guard her so close. She can't shoot." In fact, when we we got to the my freshman year, we won the A10 and we played at Duke in the NCAA tournament and I mean, the, I literally, I was at the, I couldn't even shoot from the foul line very well my freshman year. Like I was, a just grab boards, put it back in, drive to the basket. I was able to score with contact, but I really was not a very good shooter. And they were like, literally like do not guard her. And it came to a point where like, I had to act, my coaches were saying like, you have to shoot it because it's like ridiculous. No one else is open either. Cause they're not guarding you. And I just met, I were down at Duke. I just bricked and break like, and I, that summer I just got in the gym. I'm like, that will never happen to me again. It was very embarrassing. Apart from letting my team down and us losing, that was a memory of mine too, of coaching staffs having me on their scouting report freshman year. It was That was the MO, just let her shoot. So we, we had to correct that pretty quickly.
0: Conversely though, or maybe not conversely, but big picture, is that experience probably one of the best things that happened to you because it forced you to open your game? When I, mean, I don't say best. I you understand the context in which I'm asking it because maybe if it's not presented in that way, so clear cut and on a platter, you, it doesn't, you don't get better. Not that you don't get better at it, but it doesn't become that focus that this will never happen again.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I like to believe I would have worked on my game that summer and gotten like, I knew my weaknesses anyways. Like I didn't have to have them pointed out to me, but the fact that it wasn't a platter, yes, it became a, a very big focus of mine. And it was definitely a driving force into expanding my game. And I never really expanded it to three, which, you know, it's just a a letdown still to this day, but, but in some ways I didn't have to, right. I was from, from where I did expand it and the range that I got, that was enough to get the job done.
0: Was it the left-handed layup all over again? (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's, it's, I was thinking of it as I said that story because like going left was just never my thing anyways but I did get the left hand layup down eventually but yeah it was yeah it's that kind of like I didn't like being bad at things and that went for everything that went for school that went you know I just didn't like being bad at something so I would focus and pour energy in it until I was not. Yeah. Except for, I I mean, I did work on shooting threes, but if it was a choice between me or like Colleen McGann and her team, like I get it. She should shoot it. Not me.
0: You had referenced earlier that at first thought that you'd come here for a year and then go back. When does that calculation change? You know, was it something where the social experience, the life experience was something you didn't want to, you didn't want to give up. Uh, was it just the basketball success and the doors that could open kind of what went into the calculus?
1: Yeah, I would think it was the basketball more than anything. And I'm sure that in some ways deciding it would just be a year was like, you know, a comfortability for me. Like, hey, I'll come, you know, made it easy. If things didn't work out, right, you tell yourself these things. Um, But probably the whole time deep down, I wanted this to work out and I wanted to be a great player and I, you know, wanted to take it to another level. Um, So as, you know, my freshman year progressed and and I was a big part of what we were doing at St. Joe's and I was having success. I was definitely going to keep hunting after that success. Um, So it really wasn't thought about very much. It wasn't, I didn't even debate it at the end of the year. It was like, all right, what's next? Let's keep rolling.
0: Is there a point during your career when you start to realize kind of the level you're at to not that, oh, I think I'm going to have my number retired. Like, I don't mean like that, but where you start to realize that you are not just very good, you are the type of player that only comes through a program like St. Joe's once every very, very many years.
1: Yeah, um, I didn't really think about that stuff. Even the day they retired my number, they it was a surprise. So I, I began to see people in the stands for because I was coaching at the time that day. And I'm like, wow, like there's a lot of people I know here today, you know, cause you do take a little look around cause they had I mean, they didn't know. It's one of my favorite memories. They did an unbelievable job. They sent out these invitations to people. Like it was how I never got wind of it. I have no idea. I mean, my parents flew in from Ireland for it and they stayed at some hotel unbeknownst to me, like on city Ave. And all of a sudden they're at the game. Like when they showed it, it was it was really unbelievable. But yeah, I guess. And again, in, in the Irish culture, maybe that's not you're not looking ahead to like accolades and award, Like it's not, you know, you're just do, you know, I was just doing what I was doing. And I guess I'd seen enough around other programs to think that, that those things do happen. But yeah, I just never really was dwelling on any of that stuff. You know,
0: what do you think was your best year of college? Like, we can go through what awards you won what year and what you averaged, and you went to a couple NCA tournaments, you went to a WNIT, but is there one year that, if the question is posed to you, you feel like was your best year as a college basketball player?
1: I would have to say my senior year, and that wasn't the year that we made the NCA tournament. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: that was WNIT, right? Your senior year?
1: WNIT, yeah. and I And I would have liked, we, I mean... We should have made the NCAA tournament, but we won't go back on that one. Like our RPI was real good, we had the wins, but so it was disappointing. It was an NIT bid, um, and I thought we'd actually go further in the NIT. We, I mean, we had we had some great like I know this is about my career, but we had some great teams and great players uh, that were alongside me. Um, so I thought that team could really really go far. I just think senior year, from the point of view of it being just all in, it all comes together. I think. Freshman years but like freshman year, we won the A-10 tournament. Like I barely like it's a blur. Like everything's just moving so fast. I was really focused on like when my next nap during the day would be because I was exhausted all the time. Like Because you would think winning the A-10 championship should be it. But I think just you've invested so much in a team, the culture, your teammates, you know, your seniors, your graduate. Every, every success you have as a senior, I think, is a little bit different than success you have as a freshman even if looking at tournament compared to tournament, that appears better Um, because you're just more invested in the school. You're more invested in the culture. You're more invested in your teammates. You're more invested in your classmates. Um, So all that culminating in a successful senior year, you know, my game was better. I was, I could finally shoot. I could, you know, I, I felt like I had more control and mastery of what I was doing. And that's a nice place to feel as an athlete when you kind of, when you kind of have it down and you, you know, so I would say my senior year. Yeah.
0: And your senior year, if my research is correct and my timeline's correct, that was coach Griffin's first year. That was right? coach first year. Yeah. Do you remember meeting her for the first time?
1: I'm, it was a group setting. To, like, it doesn't stand out in my mind. Like I remember, here's your new coach. He's like, Oh, great. Let's go. You know, I more remember when she asked me to start coaching with her because she had just had Kaylee Griffin who's now on our team which is shows you how old I am and she was trying to encourage me like not to maybe go play anymore because I was playing I'd played in Spain I was playing overseas and she's trying to entice me back to the coaching staff and she handed me Kaylee like cute little baby and was like what do you think I'm like oh man you're using every trick in the book here that moment with her stands out more and maybe because then that's you know been the trajectory of my actual career but yeah I think it was all you know you're so young like she seemed nice she knew what she was talking about like her staff like joe logan who's now on our staff as our dobo he was the post coach he was gonna he seemed like a nice guy we're like all right let's get to work
0: do you remember her ever being like overwhelmed by how good you were in person you talk about by that point senior year you're ready to take on all comers and however they want to defend you just tell by talking to you, your mindset is I will beat you. Like it, that's, that that's how it will work, you know, but for the first year of a coach to inherit a player of that stature, do you remember kind of like anything she would say to you during a game or just a look she would give you? Like, how in the world did you do that? Anything like that?
1: No, no. She was like, go do it again. Like, you know, there was no stopping in, in all by any means. In fact, I kind of fancied myself as a passer and we all know that I was not a passer, but I love, like, I love scoring, but I, I absolutely love the feeling of when you complete like a really nice pass and like the other person finishes. I love that feeling maybe because it hasn't happened very often in my life, but I would do things and it would drive her bonkers. And I like, I specifically remember her being like, come here. If you have a choice between passing the ball or shooting the ball, shoot the ball. The percentages are better. And I was like, oh, okay. Noted. So no, it wasn't awe or wow, you're really good. It was just do what you do and do it well. Don't be doing that other stuff. Um, She's a very practical coach.
0: So we have referenced a lot during your playing career. What's at the top of the list? Favorite memory of your time at St. Joe's?
1: My favorite memory is funny because it's coming at the end of my career like the end of my career so it was our our last home game so senior day again I had friends and family come from Ireland for my senior day and some of them were a surprise like my old national team coach was there and lining up and I didn't know it was going to happen they played the Irish national anthem on our my senior day and I, I'm still like tearing up thinking just the moment of wow like you know I'm from a small town in, in Ireland and to to be here and I think just the respect they showed me by doing it. And they had someone come in to sing the anthem. They had the flag up. There was just this full circle moment of my two worlds meshing and just being proud of where I came from, being proud of what I'd done at St. Joe's and being so grateful for them appreciating it. Like that was this big culmination moment for me, like literally in the in the line starting up starting line during Anthem on my senior day that will always be just embedded in my brain
0: so after saint Joe's, you do you met you referenced earlier you play wnba for a bit and then overseas you're with the liberty in the wnba right what was that experience like
1: oh, it was unbelievable because at some point you'd asked me before about where i thought it was going and the wnba wasn't as big mm-hmm. back so like, it wasn't even when I started getting better, I'm like, oh, I'm going to play in the WNBA. But then as the years went by, the WNBA became more stable. It was a path that people were going on. That became my next goal. Like I want to play in the WNBA. I want to be the first Irish person to play in the WNBA. And so I'd had a great career. You know, I was one of the better scorers in the country. So I thought, I'm you know, I'm going to get drafted. Like I'm, I'm going to play in the WNBA. And then draft day came along and I did not get drafted. So I was absolutely gutted. Um, and then I got a call, I got an invite to training camp with the Liberty, which I didn't even know there was another route for me to get there. So just making that team having not gotten drafted and watching like draft picks above me get cut, which is a whole other experience. Just, you know, show up at practice one day and there's 15 of you. And the next day there's 13. You're like, Oh, where did she go? Oh, she got cut yesterday. It's like, Oh, and just, you know, you just hanging in. Cause I wasn't, you know, it was a very, um, mature roster so you know I played with Teresa Witherspoon like that experience like we we lived in the same apartment building in in New York and we would walk to I I would tell people I walked to the garden to work like that was that was kind of cool in and of itself but people would be stopping her asking for her autograph and I'm like hey how you doing but making that roster you know Becky Hammond was on that team Crystal Robinson was on that team Sue Wicks was on that team so like I wasn't getting a lick. Like I, I practiced so hard. I made that roster. I wanted to make them all better, and I was really happy to be there because there were some very good basketball players on that team. So, and we had a great run. We we won the Eastern Conference Championship that year and made it to the uh, the finals. We lost in the finals. So that was yeah, unbelievable experience. And all the guys in the garden who would put the floors down, they were all off the boat Irish. They were all rooting for me every day to make this roster. It was. It was wonderful. It was wonderful to play at that level, um, for sure.
0: Was overseas, because I think for a lot of people, overseas is the, well, if it doesn't work out here. But was the calculus different for you where, because you came from overseas, uh, was it much more of a, oh, I would really like to do that. And that is something I would like to pursue more than a, well, if X doesn't work, then I can try this
1: yeah I think I was always assuming I would do both for longer, actually. <laughs> but and there was a comfortable I think people over here find it hard. you know, it, it is tough to go overseas, but I, because I had was well traveled to begin with, I, like I had more visitors when I played in Spain than I did when I was playing in New York because family and friends were all in Europe, and it's like taking a train ride to to go visit Spain from Ireland. Um, so I definitely was very comfortable and felt like I could do that for a long time. And also for me, I, I definitely had a travel bug. Like I I like to get out. I like to travel. So using this sport, yes, you got paid and it was nice. But, I, you know, I wasn't the best player in any of these teams at that level. But I was experienced. Like I got to live in Barcelona, which is this unbelievable city, have that experience. And you go there with a built-in team and people taking care of you. And then my next two spots were Australia and New Zealand. I was just saying to a friend, yeah, I don't know the next time I'll be back to these places. It's pretty far away. <laughs> Um, But they were just yeah, it was about the basketball. It was about playing pro, but a little bit of me just wanted to get out and see the world. And that was the time to do it. So I was kind of using basketball as my vehicle to do that. Now, if I could have stayed in the roster a little longer at the Liberty doing both would have been the best plan. But that's not what happened. And instead, I coached at St. Joe's and then would go to Australia during the summer, coach at St. Joe's go to New Zealand. So it kind of, I got very lucky.
0: Now you had an injury? with the
1: Liberty? Uh, I was in the injured reserve to start. I've had a, a bad hip all my okay. life. <laughs> I actually have a, a brand new at age 40. Um, Everyone jokes. They're like, wait, you had a hip replacement. I'm like, yes, it was the greatest thing I've ever done. So I did struggle. I did struggle with that, but yes, I was in the injured reserve, but was that what stopped me getting on the court? No, there were better players than me on the, on the team.
0: Was that a difficult thing to deal with after being so good for so long? And I think now it, we all look at back on things like that and go, well, of course, but you know, you're 22, 23, and you just spent four years, frankly, dominating the competition and going to, like you mentioned, Tennessee Rutgers, like, was that difficult adjustment?
1: It really wasn't again. And it's kind of the theme here is like the love of the game is something that is deep rooted. So like, yeah, I I wanted to play in the games, but I'm also a realist. I I'm, I was going to fight for it. I, I did my best to find time on that team and it, and it didn't work out but like getting up as my job and playing basketball every day and traveling with a team and being in the WNBA, like I was happy. Like, I and, and you know, like I've said, you know, I'm going to beat you. Yeah. But to me, my win was making that team like that. was So everything that came on top of that for me was gravy.
0: We need to take another break more with Susan Lavin right after this. This is one-on-one. On One. And we are back as we get back to our conversation with former St. Joseph's University women's basketball star and current St. Joseph's University women's basketball chief of staff, Susan Lavin. You mentioned all the places overseas you went. I've talked to a lot of players that have played overseas and the experiences have ranged from once in a lifetime. Oh, my God. I would almost like to be buried there. It was so wonderful to, well, I had to get out before the coup. And if I didn't get to the bank before two o'clock on a Wednesday, I wasn't going to get paid. Did you have anything that you're able to kind of look back on and laugh now, but at the time was a little, uh, maybe it's time to move on.
1: No, I was blessed. All the stops I had were, were unbelievable. I never, I ne- and I know, cause I've, you know, friends who play just the whole getting paid or, you know, someone was a Turkey, a bomb was dropped. Like there was, and that's the risk, you know. That's the risk and the what you take when you go overseas and and play. Like it's not, you know, so glamorous. You're a pro baller. Like no, it's no, it's not. And it's really hard. And it's but every spot I ended up, I was with good people. And I I do consider myself very lucky. I was in beautiful places, and I had great management and great teams. So now I have, I have no horror stories, thankfully, to share. I was blessed.
0: So you graduated from 02. You spent a few years playing. And then was it oh nine you played for the Irish national team? Yeah, I had
1: played like with the Irish team, you know, whenever I whenever I could. I think yeah, it was probably oh nine was the last maybe European championships okay. that I played in. So I had I'd played with them all my life. Um, but the 09 was probably the last one. And it was a real shame because, you know, we talked about Irish basketball. It it did begin to grow. So, like there had been a couple of people before me to come out here. But then there was a lot more after me. So we had, you know, Michelle Fahey went up to Iona. We, we just had a lot more people come out and play. And then all of us ended up at an age where we were good. We brought everything we'd learned out here back to this Irish team. And we were we were good. Like We were very close to qualifying for Division A that year in 2009, um, which would have been historical for Irish basketball. So we were, you know, it's by divisions and you kind of work your way up based mm-hmm. on winning. So that year we were all in. We lost a tough game in Iceland, which kind of screwed us. And um, so we didn't make the next step to Division A, but we were like, coming back the next year, we were going to do it. Like, we were going to be the squad. Like, Siobhan Kenny, she was out at Manhattan. We just, had, we just had a really, really good bunch of people who came all along at the same time. And then Basketball Ireland ran out of funding. I don't know the ins and outs of what happened, but they literally couldn't fund national teams anymore. And it took years to figure that out for the association. And by the time they figured it out, I was old. <laughs> so, <laughs> and not only me, a lot of that group of really good players. It's just such a shame in the history of Irish basketball. There's this big gap right there at a time when we should have been making that next step. So there's two ways I look at it. I'm always like, I'm sad that that happened because, you know, I, I would like to have been part of that group that made history for Irish basketball. And then part of me is really happy that I never knew it was coming so that I didn't have to have some last game and retirement when I'm, you know, it just like, it was taken out of my hands. Like there was no team. I had no national team to play for and, you know, it was done. So I never had to have that adjustment period of, am I willing to stop playing? It was done for me, which I'm sad about and happy about all at the same time.
0: I read one Irish newspaper, an article about you uh, referred to you as probably the greatest female basketballer Ireland has ever produced. How does that hit with you? This was from 2014. Ireland's a big country. So that's to be at the top of a list like that is really incredibly special.
1: Yeah, it, it does. Like, and it's again, when you're in those things, you're not thinking about it. And now as you get older and you have your own kids, like these are things I'm very, very proud of. I literally just said goodbye to one of my best friends from home. She was over for a couple of days with her family. And there's a book at home. Uh, it's called Girls Play 2, written by Jackie Hurley. Check it out. It's really, really nice. And I was the first, there's there's two of them now. And the first book, they do different athletes. So there's a page in the book about Susan and playing basketball for Ireland. And it's written as a kid's story. So my friend's daughter had brought it out. She had wanted me to sign it. I literally, it was the last thing I did this morning before they were going to jump on the plane. And that stuff just means so much, you know, that there is a next generation and that I'm i am the person they're looking up to, you know, it's, it's pretty special. So yeah, when I read those things or hear those things, it really does hit home and it makes me really proud. And yeah, it definitely, definitely means something.
0: You mentioned earlier, Cindy Griffin, trying to convince you to coach with her. Did you always kind of figure coaching eventually would be on the, no?
1: No, it was like not something I entertained at all. <laughs> like it, It's so funny because even when Cindy was convincing me, I was like, I'm not, I'm not really ready to give up playing. So then we reached this agreement where I could play in like, so Australia, New Zealand, their seasons are in the summer, their winter, our summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I could coach here. So I was like, oh, so I could do this play. And my real thing was I was going to get my MBA from St. Joe's. I'm like, what a great way to get my MBA paid for. So I'll work here. They'll pay for my MBA. The minute I get that piece of paper, I had great aspirations to be Mrs. Corporate America. And I don't know what I was thinking. But yeah, I pictured the suit, the bat, like that was what I wanted. And I did my MBA and I got the piece of paper while I was coaching, which was a whole other nightmare. But anyways, I did that, got the piece of paper. And I'm like, all right, so this is the part where I get out of coaching, right? And all my friends who'd actually gone down that route years earlier, because I didn't go play professional basketball, were into the corporate America, and everyone hated their job. And, and I'm like, man, I love my job. What am I thinking? Like, it was like a moment. I'm like, because that was my plan. Get the paper, get out, get a job in corporate America, get moving. And I was like, wait, Am I the only person I know who like loves their job? Why would I leave the job? I love to do this other thing. And that's how coaching stuck for 20 years. (laughs) That's literally, it was not intentional. It wasn't like, I'm going to be a coach. It just happened. And I fell in love with it and I didn't want to leave it. So I
0: stayed. How difficult is it? And I like to ask this question of elite athletes, who transitioned to coaching, there are things I'm sure that came easy to you that you didn't even think of. How am I doing this? Why am I doing this? You're just, it needs to be done. I can do it. But not everybody has your ability. How, when you're working with young players, did you work past what I'm sure was frustration? You're doing a, just do X. I don't understand why you're not doing it. And it's because you were a, Freak athlete, and they aren't. And were there moments like that, especially early in your coaching career, where you had to kind of realize that everybody doesn't have your skill set or doesn't have what is very apparent your motor to just go home and get better because that's how it's supposed to work.
1: Yeah, I would think the skill set was never a frustration to me, and I loved working on skill sets with people and getting them better. And if they couldn't do it, like that's how you learn. You can't do, you know. The motor thing is non-negotiable for me. Like that would drive me bonkers. Like there is no reason for you not to have the motor. Like you could be terrible and have the motor. I, once you gave me that, I was good. There was no, you you gave me the motor, you gave me the effort, you gave me the work ethic. We're good. You can't do it. We'll keep working on it. So that was definitely for me hard that people like, I don't I understand, like you got to get the up and back in, in 11. But if you can get it in ten, why wouldn't you get it in ten? You know, like we used to have mile tests; like you got to get the mile in six fifteen. But if you can run it in five fifty, why wouldn't you just do it? You know, I just don't that stuff. I just don't. It just that's and and I had at times have to step back because not everyone's built like that, and that's okay too. You know, so there are times when I had to reel that side of me in. I, I would say the hardest part from going from playing to coaching, kind of relating to what you initially said was, when I had the ball, when I was playing, when I was on the court, I I was not nervous. It never occurred to me to be nervous or anxious. Like, give me the ball. Like, let's run the play. Let's, you know, what's next? As a coach, when that control is lost, like, yes, you're calling plays. Yes, you're helping people, but you do not have the ball in your hands anymore. That was frightening to me. Then I was like, then heart, like playing the game, heart palpitating. Now, coaching the game, yes like anxious sweating the whole thing and to take it a step further now being a spectator so now i'm not on the bench now i sit up with my family this whole other like i have to walk like and that's not me i'm not a nervous person but now i have zero control like i'm not even calling plays anymore so it's just funny like there's definitely the ball in my hands i was calm cool collected a step away from that, not as calm, cool, collected. And now as just a fan and a spectator and a, a part of the program. I mean, these games are just too much. Sometimes I don't know how people do
0: it. Does success hit different in every role? Like a huge victory as a player, huge victory as a coach, huge victory in your current role. Is it a different feeling or do they all kind of come back to the same place?
1: Um, It's a different feeling and it, it's not the, I think it's just because of the time put in. So It's not the roles. It's when I won an A-10 championship as a player, I assumed, again, naive me, I thought we're going to win one every year. So we got a watch for getting to the NCAA tournament that first year. And then the next year we made it as an NCAA at-large bid. So like my first year, I gave my watch to my coach from high school. My second year, I gave it to my ma'am. My third year, I can't remember who I'd planned on giving it to. And then the fourth one I was going to keep for myself. Like in my mind, my little Irish, we would just, you go to the NCAA tournament every year, you know, like so I was going to hand out these watches as I felt, you know, was, and again, none of this is coming from a cocky standpoint. It's, I, I, that's what I thought happened. We go to the NCAA tournament every year. So to not get there again until our last one, 13 um, as a coach, like that hit so hard because I'd been waiting for it for like a decade. And then to win, it was a tough game. It was like we played so bad. It was like 40 something to 40. Like it was just terrible. And when that clock goes off and you're an A-10 champ again, you finally get back to the tournament. Like that's actually one of my favorite basketball memories. And not because of the role. It's just because of the time and the work and the weight put in, you know, and now it's 2013. That was now we're at 2020, whatever, 23, that next one's going to hit hard too. And there will be a next one because of the weight. Because within those waiting years, the effort's the same. You're giving as much, you know, and then it's just building each year until you get that goal again. So, um, so yeah, they do hit differently for, for different reasons.
0: How would your college game, if you were coming to college as a freshman today, would you be more successful? less successful or about the same it just might look different
1: i do think about that because the game has really just developed like players have developed just physically i just think it's hard to put them into time i like to think whatever the time period is so if it was now i would be prepared for the now my game is old school like i'm an old like if you actually came to look at a game you might not be like oh she's she's that person they're talking about like I run a little funny. I had the hip thing going on. My shot like was a little funky looking. Like I wasn't the prettiest basketball player. I was old school, but I saw the game slow. And I think as I have recruited other players and coached other players, like there's something about seeing like everything doesn't have to be fast. When you can see the game slow, you find the gaps, you, you know, you. it's just a rhythm. There's a rhythm to it. And I don't think I would have lost that like that. I think that's intrinsic how I saw the game. I think could probably relate at most levels. I like to think.
0: If I come up to you on a tennis court when you're 14 or 15 years old or no, you know, 12 or 13 years old. And I tell you the story of your life from that point on, would it have been completely incomprehensible?
1: Um, 12 or 13, 12. I won my first Irish national championship. So I was all in on the tennis back then. Like that was a big deal for me. So at 12, I probably would have not believed you. No. Would I believe that maybe a sporting career lay ahead of me? Yeah. Basketball, tennis, America, other countries, maybe not all that part of it, but that I would somehow be enveloped in sports for most of my life. Yeah. That wouldn't have shocked me.
0: And just to have landed where you landed, because you kind of talked about how, you know, the college search and, It could have gone a lot of different ways, probably. I don't think it would have had to. We wouldn't have to change things in an alternate universe where you end up at a at a different school. But you talk about the way your senior night, the way your numbers retired, the things that are done, the love that's been shown to you to keep you. I mean, that's almost serendipity because I mean I can probably count on one hand the places where that would have happened. And it's it's really it's heartwarming to hear, let alone be the focal point of?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's in, in some ways, what's kept me at St. Joe's for this long, even as a coach and now an administrator, I could have gone to different programs at, at different points of my coaching career. But when you truly love a place, like, you know, you're going to say as a rec- Oh, it's a family. It's like, it is like St. Joe's is different. You're in the Philly landscape. It's just a different place. It's special. So and, and the way those stories I've told you, like, I always say they just do things right. You know, they didn't just retire my number. They made it like, you know, this wonderful experience. The once in
0: a lifetime event. Like, yeah, honestly, did,
1: that's I think that St. Joe's at its core, they just do things right. In many ways, that's what's kept me here as as long as I've been here, um, because that's hard to find. It's hard to find in general. It's hard to find in this day and age. And And when you find something like that, you just you got to hold on to it.
0: You know? Susan Lavin, thanks so much for taking the time,
1: Matt.
0: Thank you. Really enjoyed it. And that will do it for this week's episode. I want to thank St. Joseph's university women's basketball chief of staff, Susan Lavin for being our guest this week. Now, if you like this show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one-on-one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon, 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.